On these bonus episodes of Isolated But Not Alone, I've been talking about the dark side of mental health agencies. Last week, I discussed one of the darkest aspects of the dark side of mental health agencies as being the incompatibility between the business model and the mental health model. So now I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in this episode by first discussing burnout. And burnout is the result of the incompatibility between these two models. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. All right, welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. So on this week's podcast, I want to talk about burnout, about therapist burnout, as I believe this is the direct result in most cases, and specifically in the case that we've been talking about this mental health agency, as a result of the incompatibility between the more aggressive business model and the holistic model of mental health. So I want to start by just kind of explaining what therapist burnout is. And I've got an excellent article from the Zurich Institute. And I'm just going to kind of read through that article with you. This is not original for me. This is an article that I have read in the past that is excellent. And I want to take the time to share it with you. The article is entitled Therapist Burnout Facts, Causes, and Prevention. And it starts off by discussing how therapists are caring and compassionate people, people who are very empathetic, which means the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. And the article discusses how these folks can overdo it. Caring can be overdone, as the article states. If therapists leave themselves out of the circle of care, They state that emotional fatigue and burnout come, and the article emphasizes that it can come fast. It describes how a therapist's tendency is to focus exclusively on the feelings of other people and their well-being, and that they get kind of locked in this mode for very long periods of time throughout the day. And because of that, they are victim to extremely high rates of stress, substance abuse, depression, and even suicide. And not only does this affect the therapist, but as you can imagine, this also affects the client. Because if the therapist is dealing with this, they are going to be providing poor treatment to the clients. And that's unethical. So the article goes on to talk about burnout 101, which I think is excellent. 
and they have kind of highlighted in the article, it says, clearly no therapist can be effective under these conditions, which is a pretty affirmative statement. So Burnout 101 states, burnout is the result of job stress stemming from the numerous emotional hazards of the profession. It describes how it affects most counselors and psychotherapists and other mental health workers at some point in their careers. And it makes a point to describe that this is not something that just older therapists, you know, long time in the field therapist experiences. It can strike therapists early in their career. They describe it as manifesting itself primarily as an emotional exhaustion. They also use the word emotional fatigue or emotional overload. When I think of it, I think of it as I'm physically present, but I am emotionally and mentally detached. They also state that it can lead to depersonalization, which is kind of what I just mentioned, of patients and self. And that looks like general dislike, detachment, being callous, and maybe even dehumanizing. And that's kind of an attitude towards the clients, especially clients who the therapist sees as being people who drain their energy or cause them additional stress. In the therapist world, those clients are called difficult or challenging clients. And every therapist has challenging or difficult clients. And this can mean several different things to several different therapists of what a difficult or challenging client may be. For example, a difficult or challenging client for me might be a child who's been sexually abused. And the reason why that would be difficult for me is because I have a history of sexual abuse in my childhood. So there's an extra layer there that I have to be aware of that can be stressful and challenging for me more than an individual who might come in with uh, depression or general anxiety. But however you define it, every therapist has clients that are an increased drain on their energy and resources. And most therapists being aware of this actually try to have some measure of control over their schedule so that they can put difficult clients at times when they have the energy and the focus in which to help them, as well as be able to protect themselves or to keep themselves safe from burnout, which is going to be important as we talk about these topics, because as we move forward, I'm going to talk about one of the things that happened at this mental health facility that was causing a lot of issues for the therapists involving their schedules. So the article also talks about top stressors, ingredients for burnout. And it has nine ingredients that it discusses. The first one being emotional depletion or emotional fatigue. Under this one, it talks about working constantly with people who are in pain, feeling suicidal, or grieving over the loss of loved ones people who are severely traumatized, takes a heavy toll on mental health workers. It discusses how mental health workers can be infected, and they use that term in quotations, with a patient's sadness. And this was termed a while back as psychic poisoning. 
I have a friend in law enforcement who has a very negative, whether they agree to it or not, uh, kind of a negative view in which they are passive aggressive or sarcastic about mental health, specifically what I do. And this person often jokes that they do therapy too, because in their job, they have to talk to people. And that's one of many misconceptions of what a therapist does. And another issue that people have with therapists is they feel like they just charge too much. They charge an astronomical rate for what? Talking to people. I can sit and talk and listen to people and I don't get paid that. I've actually heard this multiple different times from multiple different people throughout my life uh, when they find out this is what I do. And I always find it kind of interesting because one thing that people don't realize is that we are literally sitting in people's deep pain, their grief, their sadness, their anger, their trauma. And that takes a toll on our minds, our emotions, our bodies, our spirits, in which people are usually completely unaware The second ingredient is vicarious trauma. This term has really kind of gotten wind in its sails after September 11th, 2001. And it refers to the cumulative effect upon the trauma therapist of working with trauma survivors. Basically, the therapist's experience is negatively affected through the empathetic engagement with clients' trauma materials. And this is extremely important. And I want to make sure that I explain the difference between vicarious trauma and secondary traumatic stress. So vicarious trauma is basically kind of a profound shift in the worldview that comes from helping professionals as they work with individuals who experience trauma. And an example of that would be when I was working with individuals who had committed crimes of a sexual nature, I often would come home and become very distrustful of any adult male around my children. Even if they had done nothing to cause me to be concerned or worried, I was still very suspicious and worried. And so that's kind of vicarious trauma. Secondary trauma is a little bit different, but they are both indirect trauma that can come from being exposed to disturbing images or stories secondhand. But secondary trauma is a term to try to explain why service providers seem to be exhibiting symptoms similar to PTSD without necessarily having been directly exposed to the trauma themselves. And so I just want to kind of explain the differences there so you can kind of understand that. And so that was the second top stressors or ingredients for burnout. The third is the grandiosity and demonization by clients. And the article discusses that some patients idealize their therapist. And this is true. Some clients build us up. Some clients tear us down. Some do it multiple times in a therapy session. Others do it oscillate every other week. We can be put on a pedestal only to be knocked down. Without that 
objective feedback, we can become confused and start to doubt our own qualities, our own qualifications, and our own sense of worth. We start to get lost. We start to think we're fake, that we're not able to help people. We lose sight of our own qualities, our own qualifications. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel worth. Number four, constant worry. Therapists are often in a constant state of worry about whether a patient is going to follow up on a suicidal or homicidal threat, whether we should report that, whether we should make a suicide contract. We have lots of sleepless nights because of anxiety, and those are significant hazards of the profession, as the article states. Number five, distraction. We can start to focus on other people's problems because they're severe and much more severe than our own, maybe, and that can lead us to lose track of our own situation. And that can be extremely harmful. I'm not going to be a good therapist to you if I am not aware of myself. If I am not aware of my own problems, of my own perceptions, I'm not going to be able to help another person. And when we become so focused on other people's problems, we can lose ourselves in that. Number six, helplessness and a sense of inefficiency. And the article talks about unlike carpenters, gardeners, or surgeons, Psychotherapists rarely see immediate, profound, and tangible results from their efforts. The work is often, and then it has in parentheses, not always, but often, slow. Even when therapy is effective in relieving painful symptoms and termination is successful and patients leave, with them goes the knowledge of the long-term effects the work has on their lives. And if you're an individual who needs to feel that sense of efficiency. You need to feel that sense of, I am doing good, I am doing well. You often don't get that in this field. More times than not, you're never going to see the benefit. You're never going to see the improvement that your work has on the lives of others. And that can be extremely discouraging. Number seven, the inability to shut off the therapeutic stance. And this one states, while many patients disclose the most intimate aspects of their lives to the therapist, the therapist must share only what is appropriate and beneficial to the patients. Experiencing many such relationships can lead the mental health provider to acquire extremely voyeuristic tendencies. It may also lead to the therapist to transfer the mode of one-way intimacy to friends and family outside the therapy office. This is so on point. It is so easy to get stuck in the mode where there's only one-way intimacy to friends and family. And that also ties in with the helplessness, with not knowing you're doing a good job. And we kind of put up this wall And things come in, but we don't let anything out. Number eight, worry about board investigations. (laughs) This is everybody that works in therapy is at some point afraid of the board for whatever reason. Even though everybody says, as long as you're not doing anything wrong, you should never be afraid of the board. But that's the whole point. Most ethical and risk management instructions fuel unrealistic fears about board investigations and lawsuits. And what's interesting, this article talks about how it's very rare, but it doesn't help therapists who carry that burden and that constant worry and fear. And let's take it down a level. So that's like extreme. You know, I'm not sitting around day by day thinking, 
oh man, am I going to get sued or is the board going to come down on me? But I do think, did I do this right? Was this the right thing to say? Was this the right time not to say something? Were these the right words? Was this the right intervention? Did I do good today or did I potentially cause harm that I will never even know about, most likely? That's the kind of stuff that therapists have to carry a burden of. And then number nine, grandiosity. Working with people who often idealize you and are often desperate for help and guidance can result in what Ernest Jones, is what the article is quoting, labeled the God syndrome. Those who develop such an inflated sense of self are likely to be sarcastic, disconnected, and unempathetic with clients. So those are the nine top stressors and ingredients for burnout. And then the article talks about how burnout is preventable. They give some tips. Practice personal restoration. This can include therapy, spiritual practice, exercise, sleep, and intimacy with loved ones. Downtime and restoration. Consultation and peer support. Don't struggle with things alone or on your own. Seek consultation from experts or colleagues. Get ongoing peer support. Grow as a person. You're not just a therapist that exists to help others. You are a full being with your own needs and desires. But, you know, it's it's about taking time, you know, to learn and to grow as a human being. Belong to a professional organization. Practice ethical risk management. And then lastly, make time for family and friends. Connection is extremely important. Intimacy is extremely important. So you might be wondering, why did I spend so much time talking about burnout and reading an entire article about burnout? And the reason why is because I had the opportunity to speak with some colleagues since my last podcast. And I think with talking with these various colleagues over the past holiday week and just kind of hearing some more input and feedback is that this general consensus that the agency was burning out therapists and had no regard or at least very little regard for the therapist. And I can think about my own personal experience where I was seeing a lot of clients, probably too many clients for my own safety and my own health. And the agency was not concerned about that. They might have said they were concerned, but instead of trying to do something to change it, they were actually trying to find ways to add more clients. And I found myself maxing out my coping skills that were healthy. And I can say that I was feeling burnt out pretty early on in my experience there. And instead of having that be able to be a safe topic to address, it was oftentimes used as almost a guilt tool that if I feel burnt out, it's because I'm doing something wrong. So even though I was constantly getting more and more clients, that my voice on my own needs was being minimized, it was still somehow on me. And I know that I've talked to other colleagues who have shared that as well, 
that when they started to really feel those symptoms of burnout and they really started to have no other option but to state their needs in a very powerful and prolific way were they then told, well, you need to get help. You need to get therapy. And so that's what this episode was all about, to discuss burnout. Because the aggressive business model is not concerned, per se, with people. It's concerned about profit. It's concerned about consistency. It's concerned about efficiency. But the work of mental health is not necessarily those things. And as I've stated, what the therapist has to do at a therapy session is very different from that. So when those things come together, it often looks like therapists who are burnt out, overworked, who are then going to sit in a room in a space with folks that might be there as the very last option to save their marriage. They might be sitting in a space with someone where this is their very last attempt to try and reason with someone before they go and harm themselves or end their life. That is not a place you want to be with a therapist who is not able because of the burnout to be with you in that space. And in a healthy environment, those things are addressed. That individual is helped. They're not gaslighted. They're not beaten down. So I want to end there. I said a lot on this podcast, a lot of powerful things. I just want that to take a week to digest. And I'm going to kind of talk a little bit more next week on how I started to experience these things personally by continuing my story of my experience at this agency. So again, thanks for taking time to listen to this podcast. Stay healthy and stay safe. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health, And we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated. And maybe you are, but you're not alone.